0: For more information, visit www.novic.co. This episode is sponsored by our partners at Clever Tap Gaming. Clevertap Gaming is the all-in-one platform that enables game studios and publishers to create personalized player experiences. It's the only solution that provides a real-time understanding of player actions and integrates lifecycle marketing, live ops, and remote configuration into a holistic experience. In other words, you can maximize engagement, retention, and monetization through real-time segmentation and targeted offers and you can run live ops campaigns with ab testing, push notifications, in-app messaging, and much more. To discover how CleverTap Gaming can best serve your games team, simply visit clevertap.com/gaming or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Novit Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Bush, and I've been excited about this episode for quite some time because the topic of today's discussion is on seemingly everyone's mind these days, artificial intelligence. Now, clearly, AI, machine learning, it's all a loaded term that has been all the rage in recent months. Companies like OpenAI, which ChatGPT opened the floodgates. NVIDIA is now the latest trillion-dollar company due to soaring demand for its GPUs, and now discussions about what is newly possible are permeating countless industries. That also includes gaming, where teams everywhere are trying to figure out how to apply this new wave of tech to their games, their processes, and more. But as with every hype cycle, there's a lot of noise, so it's important to take a step back, ask what's real versus hype, and try to get a sense of where this is all really going. It's a conversation that's bigger than one episode, so we'll be digging into this for quite some time, but I'm excited to help kickstart that conversation today with two amazing guests. Ilya gelfin co-founder and CEO of InWorld AI, and George Ng, co-founder and CTO of GGWP. They're both here to help us make sense of everything going on and share more about what their businesses are up to. guys. Welcome, and thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, th- thanks, Aaron. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks, Aaron, for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. And before we really dive in, I just want to give you both a chance to, to properly introduce yourselves. We'll get to your, your companies um, in a second as follow-up questions, but could you both just quickly run through your backgrounds and what led you to the games industry? Ilya, I'll kick it over to you to start on this one.
1: Um, yeah, I'm pretty new to games industry. So, um, I mean, I started to look into it like when we started the company a couple of years ago. Uh, so prior to this, um, I was at Google for four years. And before um, I built a company that was called um, API.ai and before Speak to it, uh, which was a consumer voice assistant initially. And then we pivoted into a conversational developer platform that was acquired by Google in 2016. Um, So like most of my background is in actually building uh, like developer tools and working on AI and specifically natural language.
0: Awesome. And just a quick follow up to that. We had Kylan, your co-founder on the pod in March, and he did a great job explaining InWorld AI's mission and helped us think through the possibilities of AI NPCs. But for those who missed that episode, could you just quickly share what InWorld AI does? And maybe also just if there's anything new over the past six months of note.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So InWorld is a platform for building um, AI NPCs or like AI-driven NPCs. Um, So effectively, we are like, there are like two parts of the product. So one is the engine, the runtime that accepts as an input, whatever the character is observing in their world, like who they are, where they are, who's nearby, what they are saying, what they are doing, any events that are happening, any information about the environment. And as an output returns the behavior of the character. Right, so speech, movements, gestures, uh, actions, uh, like memory changes, goal setting, and so on. So like an easy way of thinking about it, it's, it's like we are adding brains to NPCs um, and like, well, providing like control flow for them. Uh, the second part of the product is the creator studio. So this is where creators, game designers, writers, um, like other creators are building characters uh, by like describing what they want to see. Um, and uh, it's very similar to writing a role description for a human actor. So you give them a background uh, information about the world they live in, uh, emotional profile, style of speech, maybe some like insecurities and flaws, um, narrative control, like what kind of goals they have uh, to accomplish, uh, and so on. And so, like after you do it, we pack this like modal configuration, um, and then run it uh, with uh, Unity, Real HD keys, uh, connecting to any proprietary engines. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what we are.
0: Awesome. And yeah, it's really exciting. I enjoyed the, the episode where Kylan came on. And so if you're a listener and you're not <laughs> familiar, and you want to learn more about InWorld AI, we'll obviously talk more about it today. But if you want to even get more insight into the nuts and bolts of what they're really building and how it works for developers, I recommend you know, you can scroll back in the podcast feed, or you could just Google Kylan Gibbs, uh Novic gaming podcast, and it'll come right up. Uh, but George, let's um, take this over to you. Similarly, I'll ask about GGWP in a second, but first, could you hit on your journey to the games industry first?
2: Yeah, so I, I'm a lifelong gamer, uh, even though I'm not particularly good at games. Uh, my primary field in, in graduate school is actually game theory. So I've always been interested in strategy of things, um, again, not directly related video games there. Um, I've taught things like ML, statistics, behavioral economics, so things around AI for some time. Uh, prior work, I was a research scientist at DARPA. I was the chief data scientist at, at Cray. So at, as we discuss some of the ways we use AI, some of those experiences may come up. Um, my prior startup was also in an applied AI area. Um, specifically, the company was called Science, where we built cyber risk models to help evaluate security risk.
0: Great. And you're both also um, serial entrepreneurs. And we'll, we'll hit on that uh, later in the episode too, because I'm just curious what you have learned across your journeys. Uh, but we'll save that more towards the end. But George, let's hit on uh, GGWP. Um, for those who don't know, what what is it? Um, what are you working on? But also, um, it seems like the company may, maybe it always has, but it's kind of taken on even more of like an AI focus. Or, or branding recently. So we just kind of love to know how all of that intersects in your mission.
2: Absolutely. Um, I, I assume given the, the, the listener base, most people will know what GGWP stands for. Uh, in case you don't, it's good game, well played. That's a common term to show sportsmanship at the end of a gaming session. The goal uh, is to help games modernize your support and community functions to allow them to create a more engaging and respectful gaming environment. So, so how do we actually do that? Our company is always focused on AI, um, based moderation to help streamline the detection and evaluation process of player behavior.
0: Awesome. And and one thing that, you know, I think is <laughs> noteworthy, or at least, you know, I like to to think about or point out with GGWP is that especially like in in an era where there's a bunch of fear-mongering about AI and you know. It's, its impact in you know, taking over the world or being you know, a force for bad in some ways that we have to fight against. Um, GGWP at its core, even though you don't really you know, frame it this way, it's all about using the technology um, for safety reasons and moderation in games. And so um, I don't know, I, I feel like there should maybe even be more discussion <laughs> about AI for good in games. I don't know if you, you think similarly about that, George.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're not just looking at, at negative events, right? We're also looking for positive detections, deliberately looking for collaborative gameplay where possible. And we definitely see that more coming from game designers. And then, of course, it's, it manifests itself in chat voice and in the gameplay actions itself.
0: Great. Well, let's go ahead and dive a bit deeper here. And here's one question that I want to start with, and I'm really curious to hear your, your guys' takes on this. Is AI in games a sustaining innovation, meaning it provides incremental improvements to what games already are and how we already work today? Or is it a disruptive innovation, meaning it could fundamentally change what games are and how they're made and run? Maybe it's a false dichotomy and you can kind of share your nuance thinking on that, but I'd love to uh, to hear your thoughts on on that. Um, I'll hand it over if either of you wants to kick that off.
1: Um, yeah, I can start. Um, so I think it's really both. Uh, the reason for that is that, um, uh, like, well, there are different types of AI in gaming. Um, so some obvious things, uh, you know, start with, uh, uh, for example, producing assets more efficiently, faster, or like pre-producing assets, right? So like imagery and, and things like this. This is, this is basically just augments like what creators are doing now and uh, companies may decide, like, well, what is the pace of, uh, like, adopting this technology should be uh, internally, right? So um, that, that's, like, pretty, like, organic growth. Uh, on the other side, there are things like, yeah, like, AI and PCs that, uh, like, well, uh, where companies do have to uh, kind of make this uh, leap of faith in a way. Uh, in order to in order to properly integrate again, we are working uh, on making it much more organic to them you know like well helping them first to uh, build characters probably in design time and like just you know steal some lines uh, of um, um, like the interactions that characters are creating uh, into their prescripted uh, engines uh, but yeah like but overall um, I think it 's really a matter of um, you know, some successful uh, reference use cases to be launched that, uh, like, the whole industry basically will change the, like, the standard, like, the kind of, like, anticipated quality um, uh, of the games. And uh, in this sense, yeah, like, that that could be, like, a huge change to the industry.
0: Yeah, so let me... I'll, I'll get your thoughts in a second, George, but let me double-click on that from the, the in-world AI perspective for a moment. Do you view um, AI NPCs as more... Um, just augmenting and improving the, the NPCs that we all know today across games and genres? Or do you view what you're building more as like a mechanism for building something entirely new that creates new types of games, entirely new types of player experiences? Maybe the answer is both um, and it's a journey, but curious to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I think, I think there are like really just two steps. So one is, first step is take existing NPCs and just make them better. Right, and by better, I mean it. Uh, I mean not just making them like more talkative, right, but like more kind of like adaptable to the uh, to the player's behavior and uh, preferred uh, like style of uh, playing things like this, right? Because you know when we are talking to many studios, like well, uh, some people would say, you know, I do not like. I kind of like current NPCs because I can like scroll through. The dialogue and like and continue uh, to my uh, to my quest, right? And I do not want to just you know talk to a chatbot there, and that's that's not the goal. So like if you are a player who like really like is not interested in this story and like wants to proceed, like a smart NPC would just say go there. That's it right? Like if you are like more interested in like learning about the story or like you want some additional hints or something like this, it will really be up to you how this, uh, this like narrative kind of like opens to you. Um, and so, yeah, so, and that's the first step really just improving current interactions with NPCs. Uh, my favorite part is the second, uh, second step. Uh, so I, like I do play uh, a lot of games and I uh, play like a lot of new games. Well, first of all, to just be aware of like what's uh, happening like in the, in the industry. Right. But like generally speaking, it's hard, really hard for me to find games that I really enjoy just because majority of them uh, have, you know, like too many cutscenes, too many like scripted elements. So you really do not have like a lot of freedom there. And like, I think my ideal games that I really expect to appear is like where you are dropped to a location and you basically, from there, you just learn your way. Like, well, you're trying to understand what's happening here, like what you're supposed to do. And um, um, in general, like, well, making this... so you can compare it to, um, to uh, what happened to gaming with like introduction of open worlds. right? So like a lot of people started to explore worlds and like uh, and for, for many of them, it actually became the main motivation to play in the, play these games. right? But like if you compare it to real life, uh, open worlds are not really realistic just because in real life, it's not only the location, it's actually the interaction, like social interactions that are happening in this world. That that That's important. And I believe this with AI driven NPCs, we kind of solve this, right? So we, we add this like new di- dimension to open worlds, making games much more immersive, much more realistic and uh, yeah, like much more engaging.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. I've always... Uh in some way, viewed Ultima Online from, you know, many years ago as, like, an important step, function, change in, you know, kind of the freedoms that it allows players. Because then, like, that was probably the game where, you know, game developers realized, like, oh, like, if you kind of create a world in which players have some freedom, they will take the game in places that you didn't expect. And that's actually a feature, not, not a bug, and it's really exciting, and that was kind of, like, a pivotal change for the next many, many years of MMORPGs. And I could see a similar case being made, even though, personally, I have no idea you know, what exactly is going to be made um, when you throw in more AI NPCs and just kind of creating like a new layer of freedom and interactivity that just widens the creative surface area um, and can kind of help define where some of these worlds go next. So that's uh, that's really exciting. Uh, George, I want to get your your take on this general question too of sustaining innovation versus disruptive one. You obviously focused in a different corner uh, of the market. So I'd be curious to hear your take um, broadly on that question, but even more specifically uh, with what you're working on at GGWP.
2: Yeah, I, I think the framework is, is suitable. I think we should know first that the gaming dev market has a handful of really large publishers. And disproportionately for them, A lot of innovation will be more sustaining. And there's millions of small devs, including a lot of individuals with part-time jobs that are just developing a game on the side. And for them, a vast majority of these things will be disruptive innovation. Uh, Speaking more specifically about moderation, I think for moderation, for large devs, they will have a lot of these systems already. Some use AI and some do not. So you're talking about incremental improvements to to that AI. For moderation, this means enhancing existing models or workflows and sanctioning rules. Um, Those same things, again, would actually be disruptive innovation for a small market. Again, they don't have dedicated community resources, let alone full-fledged workflow functionality or AI to detect these models. Uh, There's still relevant disruptive innovation for large devs too. Here, you're talking about more new models using extended context. Uh, So at GGWP, we're often looking across different source modes meaning looking at things like gameplay combined with chat or voice combined with gameplay or player reports um, or looking at longer extended history, which is relevant. So, so I think there's disruptive innovation there. Um, I think another area of disruptive innovation is around cost effectiveness. Essentially, what we're doing is really lowering the costs by using the AI to automate and triage a lot of the um, sanctioning. So we're improving the number and the quality of incidents reviewed by the moderation support teams.
0: That's really, really interesting. Um, so I kind of want to switch gears and kind of talk about like, where this is going in a bit more detail. So right now, NVIDIA, as, as I noted in the intro, is the market's biggest AI winner uh, of sorts because um, companies everywhere, data centers everywhere, they're clamoring for the H100 GPUs. They can't get made fast enough. Um, And NVIDIA is taking, you know, outsized profits on every single one of those that's getting made. Um, But as teams get better access to these chips and ramp up usage in the coming months and years, um, I don't think it's crazy to expect that, you know, where value flows next, it'll accelerate more towards services that actually (laughs) use that compute power um, um, for new things. And so I'm, I'm curious just in terms of like kind of where you look at the games industry or even just more broadly, like what do you think like is like the next like sub wave of this major wave to hit? Like, is that generally right in saying that kind of the, the services, certain services here and there will be the next um, big winner or are there other shoes to drop that you are excited about and looking forward to? Billy, I'll start with you.
1: Um, Yeah, so um, uh, my take here is, um, well, obviously, it's great to sell uh, like picks and shovels during the gold rush. So NVIDIA is really in a good position here. Um, But there are like multiple layers of this like uh, picks and shovels, right? So like you, uh, at the end of the day, yeah, these are like consumer services, like well, consumer-facing services that will benefit from uh, like improved uh, um, performance, like some new features and so on. But like, well, in between you have like multiple layers of this uh, tool providers, platforms that will that will benefit from uh, from this. Um, I think like, well, a uh, big uh, trend that's happening now, like you know, obviously there, there was like a hype cycle and like it's, it's happening uh, uh, still. Um, uh, but like, well, in the last couple of years or maybe a year even, uh, the focus was mainly on... Um, some kind of like research findings. So uh, companies were talking about some like really shiny, like interesting demos, examples of like what's possible with all these new models, right? Um, So now what we see is that uh, large companies are like major clients of these technologies are really trying to uh, apply those uh, to their businesses. Um, like gaming is one of these these verticals, but there are like many others. And um, um, like, well, they are starting to face a lot of challenges that are like very specific to uh, really using them in production, right? So starting from basic things like privacy, security, scaling, other things to more kind of like verticalized uh, needs, you know, like what what the specific verticals need, like outside of just, you know, chat GPT generating something quickly, right? So like, you can kind of like get like very fast to like 80% of what is desired, but then like, if you want to get closer to like 95, that's that's a lot of work, right? And, and I think um, and from this perspective, um, where we are now is really like, well, um, trying to apply all this like great research that, that has happened and is still happening to vertical use cases and make those work, right? And, and um, yeah, I think there will be like a bunch of winners. Like there will be a lot of losers as well uh, as in any gold rush, but yeah, that's, that's very exciting.
0: George, anything you want to add to that?
2: Sure. Um, so the H100s are like 30x faster in inference speed. So it means that you'll be able to have more complex models and faster training, sometimes both. So what we're really talking about is what gets additionally unlocked versus what becomes marginally better. Um, so, So things like, I mean, obviously Ilya has a high functioning company today, so we already have smart NPCs, but does this unlock like a deeper level? Does the added context link now from these additional models create an even deeper, more valuable experience? Um, things like dynamic bots, for example, are things that games are looking at that I'd imagine that could benefit greatly. In moderation, um, some of the big challenges have been like voice in real time. It's just been cost prohibitive, and obviously, like having this additional inference power matters a lot. Another area is um, just getting into really granular telemetry. If you think about the types of data a game could log, you could log, you know, 240 frames per second of telemetry information and actions. Obviously, you don't do that typically, but if you want to start looking at things in real time, theoretically, it becomes much more feasible because of the cost reduction. Um, There are some marginal improvements as well, like every model will run better. Uh, They aforementioned context-rich models. Some of them become unlocked. So if you're looking at things like grooming or looking at combination of attributes, you'll better be able to do that. Uh, Ilya brought up the ethical focus point. I think it's indirect. It's just that if you're able to solve some of these compute issues researchers and engineers and product managers are more able to um, focus and tackle the more nuanced cases around fairness and transparency. So the hardware indirectly helps with that as well. Um, but but ultimately, it's, it's clear that the cost will be reduced. So if our costs are reduced, we can in turn pass it along to our end customers. And in turn, that would make things like AI-based moderation more accessible for everyone.
0: Exciting. You guys are, are hyping me up. Uh, you guys are also, you know, living and breathing the the cutting edge, and I, I guess, and and you know, as as you're talking about, like clearly lean on the optimistic side of what is possible here. Um, but you know, as people who are deeply immersed in the actual technology and have, you know, an above average sense of what's realistically possible, um, are there any corners of this games X AI wave where expectations are ahead of themselves and you think people should calm down a little bit? I mean,
1: I'm, I'm pretty optimistic uh, in general. Right. And like, just like, as uh, like looking at the pace of like new technologies developing, uh, like I'm, I I kind of like agree to believe that like pretty much everything is possible. Uh, That said, um, again, um, like, bringing it to actual uh, games to actual uh, like products takes more time um, than like, than it seems like it would take, right? Because like you can uh, very quickly build some like quick and dirty experiments and like, and see like great results that are up, like 80% there. Uh, but uh, like bringing them and like launching them uh, in, in real products will take time. So from this perspective, like. From the kind of like, you know, dreaming perspective, yeah, like pretty much anything is possible, I would say, at this point. Um, it, just, it just will take some time. So Aaron, I think I have a gotcha. few. But,
2: um, I mean, we're repeat entrepreneurs, so we're probably biased towards being optimistic in these areas. <laughs> um, for for yeah. moderation, even, um, we're not going to reach fully automated moderation. I don't think it's advisable, especially for potential safety issues and ambiguous high-severity events these should undergo human review. Um, We must be or continue to be vigilant about things like model biases. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't use the AI, but just ensure that we understand the biases and that we have proper human oversight in them. Um, Content generation. um, I I think for most internal teams using it, it's fine, right? Assuming it undergoes some human review, this kind of applies generally to every space. Uh, But for user-generated content, I think it gets a little bit trickier. I think I could plug UGWP and say moderation tools should apply in that area as well. Uh, But I think the the bigger challenge there is that the game designers, once they allow the user-generated content for better engagement, they also have to have more, like the bar becomes higher to have clear game design goals and community guidelines for that system. Um, Player-specific experiences is another area. Um, AI-powered NPCs obviously can offer more engaging Dynamic experiences, but again, similar boundaries. Um, I, I'll take a, a, another company that has had some you know, mixed reviews lately, like in, in, in Replica. Um, obviously, not the same as an MP- uh, NPC in games, but you can see how there's some overlap and some could view that as a game. And you know, we have to be careful about avoiding bad individual experiences for sensitive populations and learn bad experiences based on group learning. And then I think the most dangerous area is probably just around monetization. Um, There's already a lot of AI-optimized actions based on player behavior. Obviously, um, quantitatively, this could improve, but it could negatively impact game enjoyment. So there probably need to be better guidelines on how to avoid predatory consumer behavior, especially given some consumers' perception of the gaming industry's Reputation around things like loot, gotcha, gambling type mechanics, um, or engagement there.
0: Those are those are both good answers. And so I guess I'll try my best to kind of double underline some, a couple of key things you said. One, George, you you made me feel happy, and you know realizing that humans still have an important role <laughs> to play in all this. We're not handing over the keys to to just code or robots um, anytime soon. There's there's always going to be a role for um a human touch to make sure our priorities are straight and that, you know, we are looking out for what's best for people and um always having a creative spirit. And Ilya, what you were saying, um, you know, it seemed more that like, yeah, you're an optimist. You're you don't necessarily think there is too much of a limit on on what is possible in time, but the time part was important. And I guess if you look at a hype cycle, maybe if we're nearing a um, you know, a kind of like a peak of inflated expectations that doesn't necessarily mean what people are expecting won't happen, but maybe the expectations in terms of the timing are a little out of whack and it'll just take more time to build, um, what is possible before, um, people will get it in their hands. And so could go through a bit of a hype cycle and, and that, that, Does that sum up some of what you're saying? Okay. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. I I just want to clarify, right? So, like, uh, my answer uh, is more uh, kind of, like, in the perspective of uh, end users, consumers, right? So, basically, as a gamer, like, you can imagine, like, lots of different interesting things, and they will be possible with AI. Um, Like, I I, um, kind of, like, the internal, like, well, the developer focus is somewhat different. Uh, and, like, yeah, like, I agree with George. There are, like, a lot of interesting challenges there. Uh, like, well, if the expectation is that, uh, you know, like, well, new games will just appear with, like, well, one press of a button and they will be, like, high quality and wouldn't require any, like, human involvement, yeah, that's that's not the case. And that's good because we really want people to be part of, uh, like, the creative process.
0: Yeah. Uh, one other piece of this that I... I want to get into is the kind of the debate or ideas of open source versus closed source models right now, uh, specifically as it comes to even even just the games industry. So AI obviously is famously closed source, and we're and we're now seeing more competitive open models like Meta's Llama two emerge. Um, So Ilya, maybe you can start on this one. But why why does this open versus closed source conversation matter in general and in games for those who are are less familiar with the technicalities, and um, as related to that, I would just love to hear more details about the open source you know work that you at inworld AI uh, are building.
1: Um, yeah. so uh, why it is important? Um, well, for for many reasons. So um, there are like uh, more um, kind of like non-development reasons, but like will that have to do more about like observability? Like, well, people want to uh, be able to see what's happening uh, within the technology, right? Like how it works, what kind of data it is trained on, um, uh, things like this. Uh, Second part is uh, like more about kind of like stability and uh, uh, reliability. Uh, So basically, like if if, uh, AI becomes a big part of your product, you probably want to be able to, you know, have some control over it. Um, and um, like, not just rely on a uh, on some startup that like will may disappear at some point or something like this. And this is where like some consideration about considerations about open source are important. Uh, also, um, like, generally speaking, right, there is like a, this great debate uh, around like well, community supported open source products that may develop somewhat faster, but also have some challenges. Um, so yeah, like there are like a lot of a lot of considerations there uh, on like well what uh, like how how to focus on it. Um, from the um, like process perspective or just like organizational perspective, building open source versus closed source um, software is very different, just like in terms of like how you manage your developers' community, for example, right? So like if you're open source, you have to, like share the roadmaps, discuss everything with the community, uh, decide like what goes into like the main branches and whatnot and, and so on. Right. So that's, that's a whole process. And like, if you make this decision to like go like fully open source, for example, um, then like you have to change a lot of processes just li- and how you look at um, relationships with, uh, with developers and like broader community. Um, and specifically, um talking talking about AI there are like a lot of considerations around around data right like the data that is like how to share this data um, like well what data is being used for training can you actually share it with developers and like what what are the licensing terms and like many many uh, other th- things um, for in world we are kind of like trying to balance between closed and open source. So, um, and like, this is like an ongoing discussion really. So like, well, we are still figuring out like what is the optimal uh, configuration here. So, but generally speaking um, uh, right now, what we decided on is like, well, we are open source in some parts that are not core to us that um, are, have to do like uh, uh, more with um, like voice related things. Um, you know, like some other things. So basically, that are like uh, like a side of the the main like brain that we are we are powering. So that's that's one part. Uh, another part, like when we are working with uh, like uh, selected uh, partners, we can also make these solutions open source. But it's like it's limited open source, right? So basically, like a large studio that w- works with us have, may have access to to the source code, um, like well, to yeah to feel like more uh you know secure in a way and to and to be able to uh to get more control um we um like open sourcing the core part is is challenging uh mainly because it really just changes the way uh we are we have to work with the developer community and uh yeah so we are not doing it at this point
0: gotcha uh, that makes sense. And I'm curious to see um, how you all will evolve over time and your approach to working with the developer community as as this area matures. And I'm sure you even continue to expand your ambitions. Um, you know, another part of this conversation is is less the technology. And, and I know you guys are, you know, technologists and builders at heart, but I, I also want to talk about business models for a moment because I think that plays an important role in how, um, this technology gets enabled and adopted by companies and consumers everywhere. And I kind of want to hit on, on both sides of that quickly, especially as it relates to games, because I think this is something that probably not many people have, have thought through so far. Um, and also probably relates to kind of the whole sustaining versus disruptive innovation conversation from earlier, and how how these capabilities actually get out there. And so, um, George, I'll start with you on this one, and maybe you can speak to like the enterprise side of this. Um, you know, do you think that B two B business models in games could um, change as a result of more AI driven and AI powered um, technologies? Curious about your take generally, and again, even specifically with with GGWP, which I know has been, you know, tweaking its its business model too.
2: Yeah. Um, I'll actually try to tie this to, to openness, too, because I think that's, that's okay, core. Um, so, so if you think about um, the gaming market, again, looking at large devs versus smaller devs, large devs are, in general, going to be willing to help smaller ones unless it compromises their competitive advantage in some way, right? So we're operating in the moderation subspace specifically. And the reality is that games don't consider this to be uh, part of their core IP or uh, product differentiation. So um, using something like data sharing, again, not quite open source, source but uh, just, just sharing across, data sharing programs sort of il- illustrate some of these incentive differences. So if you think about if we created an industry consortium, which we've been trying to do, um, small devs would gain a lot of information for the amount of data they contribute. Right? If you had everybody contribute, you know, they have a much smaller ownership stake. And the opposite is true for large devs. So in the incentives there already misaligned in some way. And I think that influences both how they would view open source and closed source and how we would view it selling to these parties as well. Right? In general, obviously, open source has value. It fosters collaboration, innovation. But because large publishers don't see it as a differentiator, it makes them theoretically willing to open source moderation philosophy. Now, the challenge is if you're a small game dev, um, you know, like teachings or playbooks don't, don't create a closed solution for you. You want the actual action plan or you want the data and the large dev will not share that. Right. So that's certainly a struggle. I don't think. Having better AI tools or better AI hardware will necessarily change that. Um, as far as how this influences our business model, um, we, we have we recently talked about our pay-as-you-go, no-commit tier, and this was very deliberately introduced so that we can make our product more accessible, in part to target some of the earlier games or these smaller game devs. Um, for the most part, a majority of our customers today are larger customers where we sign committed contracts for. Um, while this isn't ideal at times, potentially for for scalability or openness, it does allow us to create more secure solutions and more bespoke solutions at times when needed, which does allow us to, to have a more sticky solution with the customer and have better retention as well.
0: Gotcha, that all makes sense. And I was also starting to sense a little bit of your, your game theory thinking, You know, leaking out uh, <laughs> some of your logic in um, that answer um, Ilya obviously um, your company sells b2B as well so uh, if you if you have comments on on that I'd be curious to to hear it but I'm also curious to hear your your take on the consumer side uh, of this too because on your website there's a stat that says 81 percent of gamers would be willing to pay more for games with AI NPCs, and, and I'm just curious what you think that means, in practice, and to those who are skeptical about AI NPCs really unlocking new transaction options or providing pricing power to studios, um, you know, what would you change to add nuance to that conversation or help change their their minds?
1: Yeah, um, I think um, I would start like looking at this from the like value perspective, like what kind of value um, these technologies bring to both developers and end users. Right, so specifically when we are talking about AI NPCs, well, we are talking generally about like, well, uh, like a few things. So one is um, uh, improvements in engagement, retention, like playtime. And two, um, like if we are talking about more like disruptive innovations, right? So like basically introducing new styles of gameplay that uh, uh, like may become market standard and basically will be like unavoidable. So basically like for an end user, you know, like if you are given a choice uh, to play a game with dumb NPCs or and, or smart NPCs, you would probably select smart NPCs like uh, every time. Um, so from this perspective, um, like I would focus on like say, like improvement in the engagement, right? Uh, so um, like if engagement is improved, um, you can get the game from like a just a just a good game to, to an endless game. So where where basically uh, players return like uh, again and again because they have like relationships with the characters. It always makes sense to like to just log in and do something new there, right? And so uh, if you just look at uh, like generally how games work, right? Like when, like th- there is like a, some, some peak like at launch and then like, it's like fading out, like slowly um, With like, well, um, um, kind of like new, like, well uh, many players already played this game and like, well there is some motivation for them to return but like, well, generally like, well, uh, 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 there are like there is some kind of like churn. Um, and so if we are able to improve this, right? So that's a, like a no brainer for studios to, uh, to implement. And so um, there are a couple of approaches here again. So one is like for studio, uh, if they see that uh, engagement is increased, revenues increased, it's pretty easy to justify uh, the cost then, right? So, um, I mean, like, well, it has to be like net positive for them, but like, well, it can actually j- just improve the economy and like, well, uh, economics of the game and they can um, like, either like will make it a little bit more expensive or introduce uh, some like in-game purchases or, or something like this, right, to uh, to support this. Uh, another uh, way is to try to actually uh, pass it to the end users. So like end users may decide whether they want uh, or not uh, to use, like to work with this like smart NPCs, like especially in the cases where it's like, it's, a, it's your companion in the game, for example, right? That you may or may not, have. And like, you really decide, uh, um, uh, decide on that. And like, as we see, uh, like players are extremely positive about it. And so generally speaking, both models really work. Um, uh, like, and then it's really a question of, you know, how to, um, how exactly to implement it. and I'm like, well, here we can be pretty flexible. So it could be, you know, just like usage-based, like pay-as-you-go. Um, it could be uh, more like revenue sharing. It And uh, like, if we are thinking about like uh, passing it to the end users, it actually becomes a monetization opportunity for, for, uh, for studios, which is like very important, especially these days where, uh, when like a lot of studios are deciding um, um, like to monetize more on existing IP um, as opposed to building some new IP, right? And so if we come to them and tell, you know, you can, uh, there is like this like great feature that people are uh, willing to pay for, that's that's also like a no brainer for them. Uh, and like, well, and we can share revenues with them. And again, like in this case, they, uh, will not be thinking, you know, like, well, if it's like usage model, like how much will I spend? Like, well, will I go bankrupt if like, well, my users are like too talkative. Uh, they will actually be interested in like making these characters uh, uh, like as, engage, uh, as um, engaging as possible uh, to bring players to their experience and not competitors uh, and get like more and more interactions and uh, get more revenue share.
0: Interesting. Uh, appreciate the the thoughtful answer there. and I really look forward to seeing you know how that plays out in in the wild over the next you know many months and years. It'll be really exciting to see. I do want to switch gears and and you know kind of talk about other aspects of of being a founder, um, both with your your current companies but also just experiences over time at previous companies as well. and, uh, maybe a first pit stop on this part of the conversation is to just talk about fundraising. Uh, both of your your companies have recently raised meaningful venture money, and Ilya, I think NWorld is now technically the most funded AI um, gaming company. And you know, on one hand, some of the the market hype here, uh, just broadly is giving kind of strong 2021 vibes which then mean reverted down but on the other hand you know as we're talking about today like much of the progress here is both very real and very exciting and so Mm -hmm. as founders in an environment like this i'm curious how you navigated um this this environment and ecosystem with those with those factors um at play like how did you think through like how much and at what valuations to, to raise that given the opportunities at hand and kind of the, the market's hype of, of late. Um, George, I'll kick this over over to you
2: first. Sure. Uh, given the volatility of current market conditions, we aim to raise a substantial amount as a safety net just for uh, scaling uncertainties that we couldn't encounter. Um, as repeat founders, we sought a fair valuation that would also honor our long-term relationships with investors. Um, in, in terms of who or who to raise from or who to work with specifically, uh, from my experience, especially with my last startup, uh, the specific VC partner was much more valuable than the firm itself. Um, so especially around introductions and relationships in a target space, since we're B2B SaaS. So we prioritize bringing on advisors and investors we felt would be additive or genuinely additive who could be potential strategic partners in the gaming space specifically. Um, As far as the top end of our valuation, I think we probably could have woven a broader story that branched out of gaming if we really wanted to, Um, And we sort of deliberately didn't describe such an expansive narrative into general AI applications, like say, um, general player, general consumer analysis that you could potentially take some of the same information that we are to eventually do. Now, we may choose to do that at some point, but I felt like it detracted from our core mission at this point. Um, We really believe that we need to first earn that right to diversify by first succeeding in our primary domain. And given that for for me and my two other co-founders, um, this is really a, a mission-oriented problem.
0: Gotcha. Ilya, how about, how about you? How did you think about all the variables of, of fundraising and setting your company up for success from that lens?
1: Um, yeah. So um, I think a um, really important consideration here is that we are building a completely new market, right? So, um, I mean, like it doesn't exist at this point What is good about it is um, like, if you talk to like all these game studios and some other clients outside of gaming, they all agree that's the future, right? So like they do not see a future without it. So it's really a matter of kind of like implementation and time, right? Um, Which is like, which are like pretty important uh, like unknowns. Well, for the implementation, I'm like pretty confident we've done it before. For time, uh, it doesn't depend on us, like at least partially. Right, so it depends on the market, on like well, um, um, like many many other uh, things, like well, including some like legal considerations, including just yeah like well, adoption, like well, some first first adoption, um, and and so on. So from this perspective, um, um, like well, we've been thinking about yeah like being um, ready to uh, um, like to different scenarios and like yeah like creating this safety net. so like whatever time it requires to uh, to become, become the mainstream, like we should be ready for that, right? Um, but like, as we believe it is happening anyway, right? So that's like as a so important platform shift uh, for in like in gaming and, and some other uh, areas that um, like it's not that difficult to convince investors uh, in this. And like actually um, like Three of our previous rounds, we were all preempted. So basically, investors reached out to us like, "Well, usually, you know, um, they tell us like what we are working." So I mean, like they, they are doing our pitch better than us, uh, oftentimes, right? So like, uh, so a partner for, uh, a partner at a VC firm reaches out and says like, "How great this market is," and like, "Well." Uh, you know, like, and what are all these opportunities and so on, which is which is really great to see. And so, yeah, like for us, it was like very different from uh, like first start, start first startup experience. So this time we were able to really like select which investors to, to work with. And yeah, like to George's point, um, um, like, well, the personalities are extremely important. We were like, in our previous round, we were lucky to get back uh, our previous board director Moritz, who was at BitCraft and now is at Lightspeed. Um, he's awesome, uh, so it was kind of like a very uh, uh, very uh, easy decision uh, to to raise the round just because uh, he rejoins us. Um, but yeah, that's that's like how we were thinking about it.
0: Great, that's all. That's all really fascinating. Um, and I, I kind of want to double click into the serial entrepreneur point because obviously you both have lessons learned and have takeaways <laughs> regarding fundraising, but you know, that's just one small part of actually creating a successful business. And so I'd kind of like to just pause and and ask you both, um, is there anything you're doing differently, um, in your current, your current role as, you know, a leader of one of these ambitious companies that, um, was either learned or you changed, you know, compared to kind of who you were and how you acted at your, your previous businesses um, among any dimension. Um, asking this because I know we have a bunch of founders that listen to the podcast, but even, even selfishly as a first-time founder, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you've learned over the years. Uh, George, I'll kick it over to you first.
2: Sure. I think this time around, I'm much more focused on enjoying the process and the journey. Um, we have such an amazing team it's helpful that we're in a domain space that we all enjoy as consumers as well. Um, so just really soaking that part in. Um, I would say advice for uh, others, especially whether you're a CEO or CTO, if you're just as a tech operator, it's really hard to do deep engineering work and multitask on many things simultaneously. So just really resist the urge. To try to do everything yourself, it's crucial to let go and delegate. Um, I think I got significantly better at that in my last company once we were acquired. Um, but just taking some of those lessons and certainly learn, empower, acknowledge, and support your
1: team as well.
0: Love it, Ilya.
1: Um, yeah, I I generally just agree to like all these points. Uh, so I think like well, partially like we are um, like. I'm behaving somewhat different from the previous startup, not by choice, but because, yeah, like it's easier to fundraise. uh, Like there are some other things that like, um, like are somewhat easier to do. Like even like working with with clients, um, having some uh, like track record before um, is somewhat like more, uh, uh, more like fun and uh, easy and uh, convenient. Um, So yeah, like, but I would say um, probably like the biggest, um, Difference here is uh, because we were like more successful with fundraising and like got uh, more visibility. It's much easier to build like a great team, um, and that's that's awesome. So yeah, like well, um, uh, yeah, I can just repeat what George said. Like well, I'm I'm like well, really like enjoying the process much more, and like well, are like I'm better in like in delegating things and like trusting people. Uh, and like well hiring people that are much better than me uh, in in like many aspects that's that's awesome. Um, also just industry wise, right? So like our previous company was like well building solutions for like customer support, call centers, things like this. so the boring stuff. so like this this time gaming and entertainment world is incredibly interesting. Um, uh, you know, like well, one indicator for me is like when 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 my kids are uh, here, like who I, I am, I'm talking to in terms of like clients, different uh, game developers, right? So they they are like excited, and that's like a great kind of like example for them. Um, so that that's like a separate motivation. But yeah, like well, we we uh, you know we work with like world class creators, uh, writers, uh, game designers. So that's that's really awesome. So um, in terms of advice, um, I think like well, uh, practically speaking, uh, my main advice. Um, would be, um, you know, like if you focus, uh, especially like if you're working on some like deep tech solutions, like if you focus on your product and technology just and, and the value that it brings to the uh, to the clients, right? So that's a big part of, uh, of success. So like, even if, uh, you know, it may take a little bit longer to be successful from like business terms, you are kind of like keep on, Creating this like this value and the experience with the team, and this is like always always like very helpful um, and so yeah like focusing on that uh, I think is critical, especially like in the times where like it may be pretty challenging challenging to raise uh, vC money um, or uh, you know yeah like where like um, some m a market is somewhat like all frozen um, yeah.
0: All good advice, and I love to hear the the parallels between you both uh, as well. There's probably some some wisdom in that, then that that a lot of us should be should be taking. Um, I have kind of one last AI related question before we we kind of close out, and I just kind of want to hear more about what's next for for you and your companies. Um, and my question is, you know, obviously both your companies leverage AI for clients but are you also unlocking or experimenting with um, AI adding value elsewhere in your business, whether it's like internal processes or, or whatever it might be? Um, just, just curious, since you're both on the bleeding edge of this.
1: Um, yeah, I can start. Well, we are obviously like using some AI tools internally, like Copilot, uh, things like this, right? right. And just in, in, in building stuff. Uh, well, same, like, well, our marketing people are using, like, well, image generators and, like, text generators and and, and so on. So as, like, everybody now. Um, I think we are, we are also trying internally to be kind of, like, uh, uh, aware of, like, everything that's happening outside of AI NPCs. So, um, I mean, like, our develop like, one of our developers uh, recently uh, was on vacation and he built like in his spare time, uh, like a point, uh, point and click game basically that is like fully uh-huh. AI generated, right? So it's not just the characters, but like the, the, uh, the landscape, the objects, the narrative, uh, and so on. And that like really helps uh, in understanding like where the, the industry is like, well, where there could be some like very interesting uh, like findings um, and uh, like, well, where we could focus as well um, to uh, to achieve like, well, um, uh, some interesting milestones.
2: Cool. George?
1: So I think you're asking about where
2: we use AI out of like product, right? And Yeah, um, just
0: internally for processes and uh, whatever it might be. Like we use ChatGPT for editing as a lame example, but maybe you have cooler examples.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people do that as well since we're starting to write things like, like blogs, um, our, our company was started uh, three years ago in at the beginning or t- towards the beginning of, of the pandemic. So we have a completely remote team. Um, so that means that we have everybody updating things asynchronously. And I think that increases your communication costs and burdens. So I'm a big fan of just generally... Boosting operational efficiency and streamlining communication. Um, so we definitely leverage our own internal tools that we build for other purposes and some vendor tools to, to help with this. Um, some basic things we do would be, you know, in addition to editing, which we I think I would guess like 80% of the people use in some way if they write. Um, we automate recording of internal group meetings. We summarize action points from these meetings. We send follow-up nudges from these meetings. Um, we also look more longitudinally and identify and surface recurring points of failure. So in addition to your standard retros, um, we're, we're also getting some insight from this as well. Um, I, I think some of it's probably because we just have a lot of you know, data-focused people on the team that inherently like these things, and they're just trying to make their own lives easier. So naturally, we, we gravitate toward these tools.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, I guess to close, I just want to hear a bit more about what's next um, from your companies. Is there anything that we should be looking forward to? So I, I'll start this one uh, with George, with GGWP. Um, what's next for the company? Is there anything that, we, that you know, those of us from the outside uh, should be looking forward to?
2: Yeah, so, so our two main focus areas are we need to continue onboarding and delivering value to large prospects and existing customers. And we really want to make our product more accessible again, to help more small devs adopt, which means developing more self-serve features. Uh, Our long-term goal remains the same. Um, It's fairly ambitious even to become a holistic solution for gaming content moderation. And what that means is, you know, you have different inputs like chat and player reports, which we have functioning products in. And then we have things in prototype form like voice and Discord and exploration phase like images around experiences, avatars and items and other things that we can help. Uh, moderate as well. So we'll continue to add piece by piece in those different areas.
0: And if anyone um, wants to reach out to you specifically or GGWP in general where should they go?
2: Yeah, uh, any listeners can reach out to me directly via LinkedIn, just uh, first name, last name George Ng, or on X, I guess it feels awkward to say X instead of Twitter, but uh, at <laughs> Dr. George Ng. Uh, you can also visit our website at ggwp.com for more information.
0: Great. And Ilya, um, obviously, uh, you raised a lot of money. I know your team is in heavy building mode um, right now. But um, for those who are curious about the future of AI NPCs, what what should we all be looking forward to next? What can you share with us?
1: Um, yeah. So in the next, uh, like, six months a year, we'll have more launches of, um, uh, like, uh, of these first integrations with major companies. Um, many of them are extensions and DLCs and mods uh, because uh, we are in this interesting market. I mean, I didn't realize it like before we started the company that, you know, like for a AAA title, it may take like five, 10 years uh, to build <laughs> yeah. build it, right? And like, you have to be with them kind of like on their year of one when they decide on, on uh, the tech stack. And so majority of things, like with new titles will be launched like in two or three years when we will be like five years old. Um, in the meantime, yeah like we are focused on um, some kind of like this uh, some of these experiences that uh, like are um, achievable and doable uh, earlier. And yeah as I mentioned before, like as companies are, Turning more and more to uh, using their uh, and like uh, monetizing their existing IP. Uh, they are more interested in like building these extensions and things like this. So that's a large focus for us because um, it obviously can like demonstrate what's possible with with uh, AI NPCs, but also helps us to uh, be ready, you know, for scaling like well to optimize yeah like scaling privacy security and every, everything like. That makes us uh, more like enterprise ready, um, and then like obviously like the main um, main like um, direction of development is just keeping you know building these like the brains for NPCs, uh, and uh, uh, here like what is good about it is like well we are like well as I mentioned we are trying to kind of like approximate human actors right? So we do not really need to create anything new. We just, like, get closer and closer to the performance of real people, like real actors that you may hire to be part of your experience. And so, yeah, so basically, like, uh, product roadmap is, like, really easy to build. You just, like, look at the biggest gap between, like, the character now and and the human actor and, like, start dressing it. Um, So, yeah, there will be, like, a lot of things uh, there. So main focus is on like multimodality, So like in addition to speech, you know, like, well, how we control characters to like perform different actions uh, within the environment, um, like express themselves, like we'll come up with new things uh, and so on.
0: Great. And if people want to, to learn more or stay up to date over time, where can they um, find you um, or in world AI?
1: Yeah, I think LinkedIn is the best way. So feel free to contact me directly. And uh, yeah, we've got like a lot of ways to contact the company through World AI. Website. Perfect.
0: Awesome. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I've learned a lot from both of you today about, you know, big picture where AI is going, how we can think through the details of, um, you know, implementing it in our own industry and, and being smart about how we think about the future. Um, and I'm bullish and excited about both of your companies and can't wait, uh, to see where they go and see the future. So best of luck to both of you. Um, thank you for hopping on. And so all of our, our audience tuning in, um, thank you as well, um, for, for listening to this episode and, uh, we'll, we'll keep at it and I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review.